It is so good to be here. Isn't it been a beautiful summer? It's been warm. Yeah, there's been a little bit of smoke, but man, just to be back, kind of having things a bit more normal, the flowers are blooming. I had something happen this week that is very normal for me every summer. I got a cold. At first I thought, oh no, is this COVID? I went and got tested, don't worry, I'm negative. But I got a cold. And God's done an amazing healing job over me, but you can still hear, I got a little bit of stuff happening in my throat, and if I have to stop and cough, I ask that you, you just bear with me tonight on that. But it's good to be normal, and it's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Many of you, maybe all, some of you have been coming regularly. For me, most of the time, I've actually have worshiped at home, you know, with my jammies on, my cup of coffee, my, my bowl of granola, and it got kind of comfortable. I actually have to admit, it was kind of nice at times. But you know, being here in the house of the Lord, worshiping together, seeing people I haven't seen, I, I just was reminded of that passage from the psalmist that says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. I have a son that lives in Australia right now, and we can't get to him. The borders are closed. But as soon as that border opens, I am out of here, and I am going to Australia. There's nothing that's holding me back. And I was convicted this week, do I have that same excitement about coming together with my spiritual family, coming home to church? So I just encourage you, thank you for those that are here tonight. You know, if you are watching online and you can get to one of our campuses, or you maybe, maybe you live outside of Calgary and you're going, yeah, you know, I used to go to church, but this is kind of comfy. I encourage you to start the new routine of coming back home to church. And we just welcome those of you that are at South Campus, at Bearspaw, at Bridgeland and Airdrie. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. As Pam said, we are starting a new series. And it is a series on the fruit of the Spirit. I remember being a little girl in Sunday school, and we had this song, you know, love, joy, peace, and patience. And the goal was to sing it as fast as you could. See if you can get through all nine of, in that list without getting your tongue twisted. Guess what? I never won. And even now as an adult, if somebody says to me, you know, can you list the nine? What are the fruit of the Spirit? I usually get a you know, kind of bad, an eight out of nine on that. I often miss one of them. There, but it's a, it is a passage that many of us are familiar with. But our prayer is that we will see it with new eyes. Get a fresh perspective on this very familiar passage. And I encourage you to read the book of Galatians, the whole book, because the fruit of the Spirit passage is really a culmination. It kind of builds up to that. It takes less than half an hour, and I'm not a fast reader. It takes less than half an hour to go through. So I encourage you, read through it. Immerse yourself in an asking God what he wants to show you through this passage at this point of time in our lives. So tonight we're going to do two things. We're going to take a broad overview of the book of Galatians, and then we're going to focus on love. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are here tonight. We thank you for health and strength, Lord. I thank you for how you have restored my body, and I just ask that you would continue that tonight, that you would keep, keep my voice strong. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our ears would be open to what you have to say to us tonight. Bring us a fresh word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we zero in 
on these two verses. I want to pull the lens back and take, take a look at the bigger picture. What's the context of these verses? Well, Galatians is written by the, the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia. And he wrote it to counter some of the teaching that was, that was occurring by zealous Jews who were teaching that certain Jewish practices had to be followed, most significantly circumcision. And really what they were saying was you have to do certain things in order to be saved. And Paul made an emphatic, no, that's not right. A person is made right with God by faith in Jesus not by obeying the law, not by getting things right. When we place our faith in Jesus alone, our life will be different because we are empowered by the Spirit. And in this letter, Paul uses a writing technique using contrasts. He talks about what life was like before Christ, and then he compares that to what life is, is like when we live by the Spirit. It's kind of a before and after story. And as I was reading through Galatians, I was really struck by the number of times that Paul used the word but, B-U-T. Repeatedly, Paul makes a statement about the way things used to be, and then he says, but... And then he, he follows it with a description of the new. And in doing so, Paul gives us this picture of the old versus the new. So let's read together the verses that we're going to be focusing on today. And I'd ask if you can, let's stand together and let's read it. This is Galatians 5, 16 through 23. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Thank you, you may be seated. This passage that speaks of the fruit in our lives that comes from living by the Spirit. Like I said, it's really a culmination of Paul's message within Galatians. He says, you know, you've been trying to keep the law on your own effort. You've been trying to make things right. You've been trying to, to sort things out. You've been using your strength, your willpower, your independence. You've been basing your religion on works. You've been getting it right, hoping to earn God's favor, and it's been futile. 
but there's another way to live. Earlier in chapter four, he says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's the spirit living in us and that he enlivens us and we live by the spirit. Now this isn't just a New Testament idea. This actually, one of the best uh, passages in the Old Testament around this comes from Ezekiel where he says, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. That's that, I'm gonna do it on my own, that independence. And I'm gonna give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you. Doesn't that match Paul, right? You're, you're gonna be filled with the spirit and led by the spirit so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You see, it's not of our own effort. It's the spirit working in us. And Paul gives example after example of what this was like before and after. And as, he, as you read through uh, Galatians, you'll find there's uh, this growing intensity of example. It's almost like a growing crescendo. And just like in a movie, you can tell there's a big battle coming when the music kind of crescendos, right? And just as we get to that climax is where we started to read today. And it says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And then he turns it around and he says it another way. The spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. See, these are diabolically opposed. There's no mixing. There's no kind of halfway. They are opposed to each other. It says these two forces are constantly fighting against each other so that we are not free to carry out our good intentions. Does that ring a bell? It's like that passage in Romans 7 where, where Paul says, you know, I don't really don't understand myself. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. Oh, this battling of evil against good. We've all experienced it. We know what that feels like, probably on a daily basis. Do I watch the next Netflix show or do I turn it off? Do I eat the second bowl of ice cream or do I throw it out? Do I escalate this argument with my spouse or do I admit that I've been wrong? Do I gossip about my neighbors? Or do I stop the conversation? The battle of our fleshly desires. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law. You see, Paul declares here that those who have God's presence living inside of them by the presence of the Spirit have a new moral ability to reflect God's character. Let me say that again. When we have the spirit living in us, we have a new capability that we could not have of our own volition. It is only by the spirit that we are able to do things that reflect God's character. So the question could be asked, how do we get the spirit living inside of us? Well, actually, Paul asked this question of his readers in chapter three. He said, did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. It's because we are God's children that he sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. It's being filled in the Spirit 
And that's not something that happens when the right person prays for you, you say the right thing, or you speak in tongues. The filling of the Spirit is a birthright. It comes to us as soon as we accept the free gift of salvation. At that moment of conversion, we are a child of God. And Paul uses the metaphor of a branch being grafted onto a tree. We're now part of God's family tree. There's a new reality. We're part of a new family. We have a new heart that's empowered by the Spirit. It's like the Spirit is the source, the generator within us that's working within us. It's giving us the power. It's the one that produces the fruit. And it's only through the work of the Spirit that we are able to reflect God's character and be more like Jesus. Now having taken kind of this broad view, Paul gets really practical by painting a word picture of what these two realities of like, two realities are like. And this is what life used to be like. I mean, take a look at this list on the, on the screen. That's what we read a minute ago. When we were following the desires of our flesh, this is what it looked like. But, here's the good news. The Holy Spirit produces this fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. This second picture that Paul provides is what a life looks like when it is filled, when it's surrendered, when it's controlled, when it's empowered by the Spirit of God. It's going to look like Jesus. Now there's three things about the fruit that I want to mention. Fruit is simply a natural product of the tree that it's attached to. We've been grafted onto a new tree, the family tree of God. And so the fruit that is produced in us is indicative of that tree. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7 where he says, you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, apples from cherries? Good fruit produces, uh, pardon me, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. The bad fruit comes from the flesh. That was that first list. But good fruit comes from the spirit. So the first thing is, fruit is simply produced by the tree that it comes from. Second thing is, this fruit that it talks about in James isn't nine separate fruits. Really, the Greek word that is used here shows that fruit is a unified whole. It's not independent characteristics. You know, as we grow and all these characters of characteristics of Christ will be manifested in us. We can't pick and choose. It's not like going to a restaurant and ordering a bowl of a fruit salad and say, yeah, I'll take that, but you know, hold the blueberries. I don't do blueberries. It's kind of the same thing we can say, give me the fruit, but wait a minute, I, I don't do patience. 
Don't have that one, thank you. No, they, this provides a unified picture of what our life will look like when we are empowered by the Spirit. And then thirdly, growing this fruit is not something that we can do. Jesus says this in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who will remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, when the Spirit comes and lives inside of us, this fruit will increase, increase in measure, and it will be evident in our life. It's a natural outcome of the Spirit's presence and control of our lives. So a question you may be asking is, do we have any impact on the development and the maturity of this fruit that the Spirit develops in us? Short answer, yes, we do actually. We either create an environment where this fruit grows and matures, where we cooperate with what the Spirit is doing and asking of us, or we squelch it, we impede it, we hold it back, we fight against the Spirit's control of our lives, and we give in to our fleshly desires, and we end up the first list. Now the parable of the seeds that Jesus gives in Matthew and in Luke tells us how the seed falls, may fall on hard soil, kind of like that hardened heart that Ezekiel talks about. Or maybe the message starts to take hold, but then something comes and, and we lose our faith, or we lose our, our conviction to give in, to relinquish our control to the Spirit. Or it, it may grow roots and then it withers and it dies. But the seed that falls on good soil, fertile, fertile soil, receptive soil, produces a harvest. One for one? No. Scripture says it's 30, 60, 100 times. That's the kind of fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives when our heart is receptive and we're willing to, to cooperate, to give Him control of our lives. So the question I had to ask myself and I ask you, have we made the choice? Are we following the Spirit's leading in our life? Are we giving Him control? And is the fruit being produced through the power of the Spirit in our lives? Well, we're gonna look at the first evidence of the Spirit's control in our life and that being love. I don't believe it was coincidental that love is listed first. Because love comes from God. It's not just something that God does. Yes, God loves us. But God is love. That's his essence. That's his very being. Now, when we hear the word love, we often think, oh, I love milk chocolate better than dark chocolate. I love dogs better than cats. No hate mail. I love my best friends. I love my, ch my children. I love my husband. All of that, yeah, that's love. But it's not agape love. It's not God's love that the Spirit gives us. It's not an emotion. Agape love is a choice. It's a choice to put others first. It's a choice to sacrifice ourselves on their behalf. It's a choice to give others, give to others when they don't deserve it. And agape love only comes through the Spirit living in us. 
And his power is produced in us, like that generator, right? So that we can then love others just as God has loved us. That spirit, he's the generator that produces that love that we can then pass on to others. And that's how we live out the second commandment, to love our neighbor. Remember, agape love is only originates with God and is given to us, and then we pass it on. And Jesus doesn't mince any words around this in terms of what it looks like to love others just like he has loved us. In John 13, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. He loves us, we love others. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love have love for one another. So how do we love like this? How do we love with agape love? Well, there's many, many passages or examples in scripture that we could have pulled on. You know, there's a parable of the Good Samaritan. There's Peter telling us to love people by sharing our home with them who need a meal or a place to stay. There's the love chapter, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Notice those are also fruits of the Spirit. Interesting how that all happens. But if I'm really honest, I think love is actually fairly easy most of the time. When I'm with people that I like, people who are nice to me, or even people who aren't nasty to me, love is kind of easy. But that's not agape love. Agape love isn't loving those who make it easy, who love you back. Think about it. Let's take an atheist, somebody who has rejected God. They're still able to love. They will have loving marriages. They will care for their children. So what makes agape love different? What's different about the love that the Spirit produces in our lives? What are the situations where there is no hope of my or your choosing love without the Spirit's empowering Think about that. What are the situations where there is no hope of our choosing love unless the Spirit empowers us? Well, again, Jesus nails it. In his Sermon on the Mount, he says, love your enemies. Oof. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Love your enemies. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be acting as children of the Most High. You see, children of God love their enemies. People filled with the Spirit love their enemies. And when we choose to love someone, the hardest, the farthest away from us, the nastiest, the person that has hurt us the most, then we are revealing that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and producing the fruit of agape love. Remember, agape love, or the love of God, isn't given because we deserved it. Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still cursing God, we had our back turned, we wanted nothing to do with him. Jesus died for us. He made that agape love available to us. Agape love isn't given because somebody has made amends with us. Agape love is given 
while we are still enemies. When Jesus showed his love to his disciples on the night before he was betrayed, he washed their feet. How many disciples did, did, did Jesus have? Twelve, right? How many disciples' feet, how many pairs of feet did he wash that night? Twelve. That means that he washed Judas's feet. The very man he knew would turn him into the Roman soldiers the next day. That's agape love. Love that only comes from the Spirit. So here's a tough question. Who are the people that are hard for you to love? Who is your Judas? Maybe it's people that have hurt us. Maybe they've slandered your reputation, your character. They've stolen something from you. Maybe it's peace of mind or security. They've been abusive with their words, physically abusive, maybe even sexually abusive. Maybe they abandoned you, deeply disappointed you. Maybe they made choices that broke your heart. For some of us, of us, this may be someone in our workplace, our community, our friend group. Sadly, for some of us, this has been in our family of origin, our spouse, our children, our grandchildren. And I wish it were not so, but for some of us, this has happened within the family of God, the church. Maybe you or someone else you know has been deeply affected by the atrocities against indigenous children at the residential schools. We should all be mourning because this should not have happened. The things that are, are done to us by our own personal Judas have the potential to cause us to revert to the desires of the flesh. Things like hostility and quarreling and jealousy Outbursts of anger, sexual immorality, drunkenness, and other sins like these. I'm so glad Paul put that in, other sins like these, other sins like this, because that really doesn't let anything off the hook, does it? But you know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, he says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Deep love, agape love for each other. For this kind of love covers a multitude of of sins. You see, agape love forgives. It, agape love does not keep records of being wronged. Agape love heals. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? Our sins are forgiven. Our record has been washed clean. Our hearts, our lives are, are enlivened and we've been healed. Now, love and forgiveness doesn't mean that someone is not held account accountable. You've heard the old adage, forgiveness doesn't let them off the hook, it just unhooks you. You see, when we forgive, it's unleashing ourselves from the hurt and it frees us. It frees us to put love into action. Forgiveness isn't one of the fruit of the Spirit, but it shows that love is being produced in us. When we forgive, we are giving evidence that the Spirit is empowering us and producing the fruit of agape love. 
But when we hang on to hurt and we harbor unforgiveness, we will be living out of the desires of our flesh. And if we only love those who love us back, we will be living out of that fleshly nature. And Jesus says, I want to empower you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the love that I, I mean, the love that I pass on to you will be the same love that you'll be able to pass on to others. Now remember, this list of the fruit isn't just separate characteristics. Yes, we're shining a light on love today. But really, they're all linked. And when we love like Jesus does, then we're also going to be able to pass on goodness and kindness. We're going to experience joy and peace, all of the things on that list. I want to share a personal story of how this has played out in my life. A family relationship, a family member, that for decades we had a relationship that was hurtful, many abusive situations. And from that list, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and many others. And I was just as guilty as this other person. Our relationship was completely fractured. I remember so many times asking God, help me forgive this person for what they had done. God, help me. I want to forgive. I forgive. And then we'd have another interaction and things would get stirred up again and, and then I'd come back, oh, I need to forgive them. One night God gave me a dream. It's pretty poignant. In this dream, I was in bed in a, in a house, and this person broke into the house, grabbed a kitchen knife, came into my bedroom, and started to stab me. Remember, this is a dream. <laughs> it didn't happen. It was just a dream. Started to stab me, and I was wounded, deeply wounded. The person dropped the knife, left, and, and I, I wasn't dead. I was able to get up and, and call for help. But before help arrived, I picked up the knife, and I held on to that knife as tightly as I could. So tight, there started to be blood dripping from my hands. Paramedics arrived. And I remember in my dream, hearing the paramedics say to me, Ma'am, let go of the knife. I can't let go of the knife. This is what hurt me. Let go of the knife. No, no, I can't. It hurts too bad. Let go of the knife. And that's when I woke up. God showed me I was hanging on to the knife. All those things that had that hurt me, that wounded me for all those decades, I was holding on to them. And I sensed his hands, his outstretched hands, the ones that were pierced by nails. Give me the knife. And I gingerly gave him the knife. And then he said something to me. I want you to make that family member a batch of muffins. Muffins? What? What's the point of muffins? I want you to make an extra special batch of muffins and show kindness 
show goodness to that person. I know they don't deserve it. I want you to do it. I battled. I was like, no way, God. That is the most ridiculous thing to do. That won't have any effect. Do you ever battle with God like that? But I obeyed. That was the hardest batch of muffins I have ever made. But I sensed the Spirit prompting me to even put in double chocolate chips. And I took them. There was no great reunion. It was just a thanks. And I just said, I just want to do something kind for you. Walked away. I still have no idea the effect those muffins had on that family member. But I stand here today before you, before God, saying, God used those muffins to change my heart. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's agape love. That's the peace and the joy, the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness. That's the power of the Spirit. Now, I don't say that. I don't share that story in any way for my glory. I spent many, many years doing many, many things wrong. I failed miserably in that relationship. But through the power of the Spirit, my heart has been changed. The relationship hasn't been restored. We're still, there still has not been reconciliation. I hope, I pray that will happen. But the Spirit has changed me and continues to change me. And that's the Spirit of the living God at work in my life. And that's the promise that He has given us. He said, I am going to be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can do nothing without me. My divine power has given you everything, everything, not just a little bit, everything that you need to live a godly life. So let me guide your life and produce this kind of fruit in you. And when he does, we can resound with Peter where he says, do it all with the strength and the energy that God supplies. Can't do it on my own. It's got to be that generator inside that produces it. And then everything you do will bring glory to God through Christ Jesus. All glory and all power to him forever and ever. Amen. Do you believe that? Let's stand together. What has God revealed to you today through his word? Maybe it's somebody you've been avoiding. Maybe it's somebody that you've written off as a lost cause. Maybe it's the person who's caused you the most pain, the oldest pain, the longest pain. Who's your Judas? Who needs agape love to flow through you to them? And then what does God want you to do about it? How is he revealing his desire to empower you? To move you from living in the flesh, trying to figure it out on your own, 
to being filled with the Spirit and bearing His fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for all you have done in our lives. We thank you that we are adopted into your family. You've put your spirit inside of us. Father, forgive us for the ways and the times that we have tried to do this on our own. And Father, we come humbly to you tonight saying, we need you. We need you every hour of every day, every minute. In every relationship, Lord, we want your spirit to flow through us. Thank you that you have said you are with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. That you will do, you have given us what we need. Thank you that we actually are dependent on you. And that without you, we can do nothing. So, Father, we ask for strength. We ask for courage to obey. We ask for attentive, receptive hearts to know what it is you want us to do. And, Lord, all of this will be for you. For you, O oh Lord, all glory and all power forever and ever. In the powerful name of Jesus, we say, amen.